0: by bhdp where we take a look at trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations enterprises and institutions i am your host brian trainer a workplace strategist at bhdp headquartered in cincinnati ohio in today's topic the leadership exchange we discuss the unique experience and findings that result when leadership from multiple industries share their perspectives and challenge their assumptions Our guests today are Lynn Metz of Hayworth, Rex Miller of MindShift, and Patrick Donnelly of BHDP, and I'll let them introduce themselves a little better.
1: My name is Rex Miller, and I run an organization called MindShift, and we're guides to the future. The future creates change, change creates stress, Mm. stress creates fear, and we help get organizations and leaders through that process. Fantastic. Fantastic.
2: I'm Lynn Metz. I am vice president of A&D for North America for a company called Hayworth, and we provide global interior solutions.
3: And you, sir, familiar uh, face. I'm Patrick Donnelly. I'm an owner here at BHDP, architect by day, strategist by next day, business owner, but also working collectively with these two to do a body of research called The Exchange, yes. which Hayworth began and then has put together, and we'd like to talk about that because I've had a great experience with it. And I'd like for those listening to have at least the experience they can have knowing what that's about.
0: Wonderful. So you came in today to give it a presentation on the exchange. What, what is
2: it? The exchange is a combination of a group, a very small group of interior design leaders and real estate leaders that came together about 18 months ago, almost two years ago and just wanted to explore what is happening with the industry, where is the industry going, and this is the the commercial real estate industry as a whole. They had a passion for it, they had expertise, but they also knew there were some problems going on and they wanted to think about it and talk about it.
0: What were some of the problems? Problems usually bring people together, so they were there looking for solutions. What were the problems?
2: There was a lot of problems and it was a lot of pent-up frustration, if you will. There were a lot, When they came to the table, they talked about the general issues that they're dealing with with their clients, whether it's technology or change management or the speed of change or innovation, demographics, a whole bunch of things, but what it truly ended up being When we vetted this all out, it was about the design process that we deal with today. Wow, fantastic.
3: So, today was an extension. I was one of the folks that did the exchange over a 15 month period. And it was expanded to architects and other thought leaders that really started to take this holistic approach to, after we vetted it out, as Lynn said, what needs to change in the industry in the way we conceive and begin, develop, implement, and deliver and finally enable for our clients what we do in the built industry. I think all of us came together and felt equally frustrated about the fact that we were really able to deliver more value than the process was enabling us to do. I guess in short, for me, what I learned was we still operate in a very competitive industry and meaning we compete with one another, all the stakeholders, and all the players in this dramatic ensemble that builds something. And what we really needed to do was cooperate and collaborate. Well, Rex, what was your role in all this? How did you get involved?
1: I facilitated. We used the MindShift process to bring diverse stakeholders together, some of them competitors, mm-hmm. create an environment, create a sandbox, so that they could play well together. Just think about the conversations that you wish you could have, that frustrate you about delivering a project Mm -hmm. that you never get to have, and then learning everybody else's view and seeing, wow, I had no idea that was your experience in the process. I had no idea that these are the things that eat away at your fee or create extra work, because we're also busy focusing on our piece to the puzzle and protecting our turf. Right. The first thing we had to do is get over the holding things tight and get into the trust side of the equation so that we could have some very open and frank conversations. Then out of that, we began looking at, so what could we do differently?
0: We as designers tend to have a little bit of ego and pride. How do you uh, overcome that obstacle with folks? Were people able to set that aside pretty quickly or did
1: that take some time? Well first, these individuals were selected because there was history with them.
2: They were selected because we knew somewhat about their personality and we had a good local relationship. So they were 10 folks represented across North America and they just had a good rapport with our Hayworth members. So they were recommended from that aspect and we knew that they were thought leaders. Gotcha. And as far as Playing well, together. it took time because everyone came in with different ideas, different baggage, different desires, what they're going to get out of it. But we had to stop first, slow down, and actually understand who we are personally and how we may respond to situations. We used strength finders that Rex led. And we also had to have some downtime together to actually not be in a serious room and talk, but to actually relax and get to know each other on a personal level.
0: Did this originate from Hayworth?
2: Yes, because we knew that there was frustration. And then, and the reason is, is I actually started it because I became our VP of A&D, and I saw real estate and a and these roles were just blending, blurring. It's almost like there was a
1: land grab where firms that were doing one thing are now doing workplace strategy or the blurring of the lines, the encroachment. So that created even more sense of having to protect your turf and bringing these folks together to to really talk about what does it feel like, what drives that behavior, and how would you change it in your marketplace was a lot of the motivation. Interesting.
0: You saw that there was an opportunity, bring in Rex and MindShift and some thought leaders within the industry, like design professionals. You worked through some identification of the problems. Did you solve it? Is it fixed now? Or? Well, it's, it's interesting, <laughs> <Brian>. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's done? Good. For
1: 9 you can get it online.
2: That's <laughs> yeah. a great, now, it's, it's actually a,
3: a great question. And the excitement you talked about having a BHDP today, right outside our, conference room made studio for the podcast is our commons. And in the commons, we had clients and users. We also had members from BHDP, from River City Furniture, who's a Hayworth affiliate here. Hayworth, really to facilitate a conversation, to expand the research beyond the hand-picked members of the process that Lynn saw and felt needed to be investigated, um, maybe repaired, uh, fixed and made better. What is this like from their perspective? The conversation across this this process that we developed in 15 months of research expanded even further on the front end to help us understand that actually clients and customers need to do more formation, more pre-project strategy on their part, bringing the right people together, understanding the stakeholders and the people that are buying the space, why they are needing to expand or improve space, what the users are that are gonna use that space so that they have a brain trust that then can start this process in a place that's much more valuable to the people that are asked to come in and bring their expertise in the built industries. And then following this, we're gonna summarize.
2: The most fascinating thing is we've done this now in, first we started with our group representing the country and then we've done it now in four cities with a variety of different audiences. Mm-hmm and it's unanimous, it's a problem. People wanna do something about it, they wanna fix it, they're all experiencing the same issues and the same problems. Now it's taking some initiative on our own in our local markets to figure out how we can move this to a different place. So
1: Brian, you asked the question earlier, did we solve it? (laughs) I think where we got to is how do we help local markets have the same kind of conversation, same quality, and appreciate what it takes to have that with some tools. Each market can have their own individual. So we didn't come up with a generic project Great timeline point. solution. In fact, the timeline you've got in your hand, which the, the exchange developed individually, it's a starting point for other people to say, this is where we have traditionally been in the timeline. Here are the problems I experience if I come in at that place. Here's what I think the risk to the job is. Uh-oh. And then there's a future state, or a proposed state, where if I had a choice to get engaged, here in the project timeline is where I would prefer to be. And this is why, and this is the value I think I could bring to the project. Well,
3: this timeline of how we deliver our, our work, our expertise, is a tool that came from using some other interesting tools to have conversations right. to you know, build simple things. Not a building now, but things yeah. like trust.
1: We started out, as Lynn said, with interviews. The tool is what keeps you up at night. It was an interview knowing where each person's main issues were. And the tool was, let's identify these and then stack rank the issues. And then process became the first. So that was tool number one is just knowing what keeps you up at night. Tool number two was who's in the room. Let's get to know each other. We used an assessment tool, Strength Finder and Core Clarity, but we also had some humanizing introduction ways of getting to know people. The third tool was where are we all coming into this from a trust basis? So we have this tool called a trust matrix, which we use today.
3: We did use today, yeah.
1: And it was interesting. I started out just flat out asking, how many of you trust me? Nobody knew me. <laughs> it was interesting to me that a couple people raised their hand. Yeah, we trust you. <laughs> well, I trust, but I'll verify. Somebody else exactly. says, well, I'm not yeah, so sure. And another person said, Well, yeah. So I said, well, what's the basis of that? The trust matrix is to help show that everybody's coming in with a different level. And we can't just assume everybody has that same level. Yeah. And then another tool was the accidental adversaries yes. and intentional allies.
2: Yes, positive affirmation. First yeah. of all, after the trust matrix, you identified some very glaring, obvious issues. And you're talking about your counterparts and your teams kind of openly with some threatening comments, perhaps, but what we did afterwards immediately... <laughs>
3: Always the diplomat.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> immediately afterwards, let's do some positive affirmation. Okay, so this group doesn't get their drawings complete and things like that, but what do they bring to the table that you cannot do without, the value that they bring? And we went through that as a team and, and did that exercise to say these are their core core competencies. This is why they're valuable to the team. And this is why we need each other. Sure.
0: My best friend is the and sons of an excavation company. And when I went to school for architecture, he said, you know, when you're an architect, we can't be friends anymore. I was like, well, why is that? And he goes, because all architects are idiots. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> and it, that's what you're talking about. There's yeah. this preconceived notion because yeah. he's had some bad experience with engineers or architects in his line of business.
3: Traditionally one of the great things an architectural firm can do is create great drawings yeah. because it yields tight bids and then the contractors need to know what they need to do to be successful. And we move so fast. We still pride ourselves in doing great drawings at BHDP, but we move so fast and we're asked to do so many things other than traditional architecture, same building over and over again, that we need to have better relation. And the industry's moving so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the contractors, right where it might have been adversarial years ago, and that was a good thing because we get competition and low pricing, have great value that construction management firms can bring because they know how fast construction cost is shifting, that we need to have these conversations because it's a different world today. Right? Yeah. Is there anything
0: through this research, though, that may have shed light on why we hadn't done it before?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 And the, and the process is set up to create distrust and fragmentation. As soon as the owner puts a bid on the street, we all play one game, right? And the game is, how do I put the least amount into this so my cost is as low as it can be, still without breaking the law, and I can sleep at night? OK? And That's I'm going to read it with an eye of what did they leave out, not to help let them know that they let it out, and, and to fulfill that gap, Right. but it's my weasel clause, you know, it's my <laughs> way out, and my whole goal and objective is to win that bid at the schematic level, which is about 15-20% of what we know. Oh, and, mm-hmm. and
3: not because bad people are in the industry. It's, They're not. It attracts great people. It's the game the process it's yeah. the game that the process sets up that you have to play because i'm going to win this work because i'm the lowest bid and
1: then the next part of the game comes in and it's called design development and the owner knows that so they hire these people called third party representatives because they're the the law enforcement of yeah. projects and then the game begins and there's no incentive to cooperate there's only an incentive that i've I've got to protect the margin or get back to profitability. Within that system, how do you change behavior because the system drives trust and insecurity? So that's where building all the social capital comes in because that's the untapped resources, you know, building understandings, exactly. social capital a lot of waste in the system. So the win for everybody. Just,
3: just having checkers checking the checkers.
1: Checking check. And <laughs> drawings
3: being redrawn for different purposes uh, causes a ton of waste that if you look at it in a very lean way, you pull that out, that's value. Because now you don't have to do that anymore. And you can make margin and save money rather than trying to compete for
1: margin. So the big mind shift is that instead of focusing on who can be the lowest price, right. Let's focus on the waste and the misalignments. And if we can all focus that that is the villain, Mm -hmm. and we can shift on that. There's so much we can reap back for the owner. Now the challenge is, how do we demonstrate that to the owner so they see, whoa, I've got a lot more to gain by getting people to play better together than I do pitting everybody together in a blood war.
3: I felt today like the the conversation was expanding. We now have those clients, those customers coming together, and they're saying, we wanna talk to each other because we're feeling pain that maybe you're not considering yet. And we also had change advocates and some change professionals from the HR realm that we're in our group today, that said, oh guys, don't forget us. I mean, we need to know what you find out on the beginning of the process, not the end when we're moving in. Remember
1: what the one person said uh, in terms of change management comes in the week before they move (laughs) (laughs) to convince everybody that That it's it's okay. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Did you anticipate that, that that would, because the original
3: problem statement was really talking about the way we deliver this product we call the built product, but now it's expanding.
2: Yeah, no, that was very exciting to see, particularly from their level, because, and and at the end user level, they all got it. They all had the problems again, just like we talked as a small group. Then they're now trying to figure out we need to be more organized proactive and start having this conversation they bought into having everyone on board right up front now they they're starting to realize i need to do more prep work i need to understand and i need to pull this together and also i am coming into this concept with some baggage and distrust that Mm -hmm. i've got to personally change
3: and yet still there's still the perception that we still need to justify to the cfo that we're getting the lowest price. So talking about market pricing, talking about how information can help us tell that story, talking about setting benchmarks that start to incorporate value beyond just, I got the lowest price doorknob. Yeah. It's value about how do we make these projects do more for the business because we know what the business is trying to achieve
2: we all know what those prices are. We all know the estimated range of those bids that are coming right. in. And I remember even in the our exchange meetings, we're like, we're spending, the designers are spending all these times on these fees, so that you can go out to bid and save 5%, but they're charging 10% because they have to do a bid package. To get there because the value, Right, Mm -hmm. and they weren't even getting what they wanted in the end because it was a bid. I think it's just realizing that we have the data. We all know where the numbers could really fall and where they're coming from. And let's just start at that point with people that we can trust and that they have chemistry with, and then start moving forward with that, yeah. as long as you're built in that range of what you can accomplish.
3: When you're working within a pretty opaque industry, because you have these silos where yeah. work is done, it's really hard to realize that there is power and transparency. That's part of the excitement that we heard today, is that there's hope that we could actually change something that r- really has the potential to be much better than it is today.
0: Uh, have you had the opportunity to apply this practically? Are there any like success stories so far?
1: You had
2: one. I had a success yeah, story, story out of Dallas on a major campus there. They were doing a research and innovation center. And the interior design firm brought us in, or the architect brought us in, to do the typical tour homes that they do, I call it, with manufacturers and go visit the manufacturers up at their headquarters. Oh, okay. So they did that just to, exchange, just to show the client you know, what is out there and what are the different cultures of these companies. Then they put out an RFQ. And the RFQ was telling me your experience with this project type specifically this project type, then also give me an idea of a price range. Tell me what your good, better, best price range in, and what is your estimated delivered and installed cost given the scope of this work? Okay. So we weren't sitting there laboring over drawings, counting every detail, things like that. But it's we gave them a range. Merit-based yeah. it was selection. Merit-based selection, yeah. and they were comfortable with the good, and they strove for the best. Then they interviewed us. The selection was based on our qualifications and our chemistry. They knew we can play fair in the price thing, and we've been on that project since early schematic design as a furniture and dealer. Wow! All, and working with it all the way through. We've been sitting in every meeting, we know how to respond to any questions, how to proactively provide solutions because we know what the end user is striving for.
0: Do you recommend that it's the right thing to bring you in at the beginning of every project or is it specific to the project? Well, like, how do you know I, I what wouldn't the drill down
3: on one player. I think yeah. Brian, you're absolutely on the right topic. It's not just a single player coming in early that's delivering value. That's a hybrid of what could be a much more complete process. Right. It's great when we can get together early on in a project, do a visioning session with more than just the owner, but with key players in the process define what success looks like, create a summary and a project charter and get everybody to sign off on that, we do that. We understand the value of that and we're able to communicate the value of that to our customers.
1: So UCSF Hospital brought all of their subs and all the key consultants in. Now it's a children's hospital for cancer. Mm. They met the doctors, they saw what kind of care they did Met patients. Stuart Eckblatt, who was over the job, shared that he was walking through as they were closing in some of the drywalls and found one of the uh, drywall subs vacuuming the dust out of the frame before he closed it up. Why do you think he was doing that?
0: To, to keep particulates down, right? For, it's uh, and cleanliness.
1: Why? Because, because it's a cancer, immune systems, oh. he understood what that patient needed, and because he knew that, he took the initiative to do that himself. So the
0: drywall installer knew.
1: The drywall installer. So when you're asking who should know, it's whoever you can feasibly bring into the understanding of the mission, of the user experience, what do we do here, we serve customers, or whatever it is. That's kind of optimum. That I mean, when you get somebody thinking like that, right. taking that kind of ownership, That's then amazing. you know yeah. the project leader did, did the right kind of leadership job.
0: Yeah. That's a great
1: story. And there's a quote from a book called Big Bim, Little Bim. All the big mistakes happen on the first day. <laughs> that happens all the time. We get together, and then it's only down the road that you that you realize, oh, the assumptions we made here... We made some wrong assumptions. So you need that cross-functional understanding of a project that's going to ask the obvious question, not to me, but obvious to them, why, why are you going to do that?
0: Sure. How many clients are aware of this process? Because it seems like that needs to be the start. They're sending out requests right. for proposals or quotes or whatever that they don't even know to ask for this, because this seems a little bigger than most people might anticipate especially from a budget standpoint.
1: So there's this law of diffusion of innovation. So you've got yeah. the pioneers and you've got the early adopt innovators, early adopters, early late majority,
0: adopter. yeah, late majority and then the laggards right there on the
1: tail. And right? some <laughs> industries are further into this like healthcare is a lot further into like early majority because yeah. they're large complex serial builders. Some markets are further ahead, so it's kind of market by market. Are we pioneering here? Am I gonna have arrows in my back doing this? (laughs) And my partner's Mm -hmm. gonna throw me out? Or are we now looking at best practices? And that's another stage in the development. There's no continuity across the country. That's part of what makes it difficult because you can't get kind of a general practice out of this yet.
0: Right. So, Patrick, Mm -hmm. as a business owner and somebody who responds to these requests, how do you weigh that against the competitive side of the beast that already exists?
3: As a business owner, I think at BHDP, we make our decisions very carefully because we don't have time to waste and we don't have effort to waste. And I don't think we needed to do that years ago. We want to be more informed and we have the good fortune of being able to because we're strategic designers be able to provide value earlier in the process so that we know our clients better, we know what they're trying to achieve better, help them define with the scope of that what you're going to build or maybe not build anything. So I think it's, I wouldn't say forced us, but it has caused us to develop the ability to have business conversations, not just design conversations. That's really changed the stakes and it's changed the way we practice. Interesting.
2: I think the community at large, uh, anyone that works on construction, they're more acutely aware now than they were even five years ago about bringing the value of, into the project. Mm-hmm. It was just a whole different conversation. You're talking about more tactical things when you're doing your presentation to get the project and all that, but now there's a conversation about value and how to address the whole picture.
0: What's next for the exchange? Like, where are you at in the process? Are, are you sharing this with people to try and build the knowledge community? What's going on now? How'd you wind up in Cincinnati?
3: BHDP, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, Patrick's been such a supporter, and even through the whole process, he's been a, a strong thought leader. And what we what came out of this, piece by piece, one step at a time, getting the word out, and finding the people that know what we're talking about, the pain mm-hmm. points that are there, and start building coalition, for lack of a better word, but a community that understands and wants to do something different. And it doesn't have to be a whole rollover of the process. It's just changing some things that can improve how we deliver a project for a client.
3: You know, I'm the beneficiary of the work of a lot of people. And an example of that is the vision that Mike Cable had here when he said, we're going to research the research. We don't have the resource or the resources, nor are are we inclined to produce all the research. But there's a lot of great knowledge out there. We just need to cooperate. And that's how we started cooperating Mm -hmm. with companies like Hayworth and with Mindshift and others. Thomas Merton said, I'm not a genius. I can just see further than most because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, That's kind of how I feel. Whoa.
0: I'd never heard the the whole quote like that. Yeah. Yeah. If people want to know more about this, where do you direct them?
2: Well, they're, if they're in Cincinnati. I highly recommend them reaching out to Patrick at uh-huh. PHDP because he's definitely uh, one of the original sources. If they have want to know more information, they can contact Lynn Metz at Hayworth.com.
0: Is it M-E-T-Z? M-E-T-Z, L-Y-N-N. I- We're working with a group at the University of Cincinnati, a group of students, and they're cross-functional. We're having them research the future of work. When it gets down to the core of it, students are thinking about how do we interact better with humans? How do we make this more human? What I'm seeing from some of our clients is a sudden surge in requests for change management. Yeah. So I think that they're seeing that something's going, how do we help people through this too? And you talked about change management before as well. So there's got to be a people component of this. Can we shift to that topic?
3: I think the core of this is actually that. Yeah. Rex and Lynn asked me to share some ahas with the group when I was part of Exchange and now continue to be part of Exchange. And one of the things I shared was that I learned a lot about trust trusting other people. I learned that we had to change communication, not organization to organization, but individual to individual. Like I have to understand you better to understand what means of communication work best for you and how do we build for the people that are doing this together, the people on these projects trying to deliver this value, do we know one another? Can we trust one another? at a personal level. And that's what the exchange enabled me to do, is actually get to know these folks more on a personal level. What makes them tick?
2: And we did a lot of conversation about what does success mean to you? Yeah. You know, and every stakeholder, what does success mean to you? I mean, where do you see you bring value, but what do you need from the other stakeholders that can provide you success? And how many times do we have that conversation? Like, yeah.
1: never.
0: <laughs> <laughs> True. So why are people suddenly more concerned about change management?
1: The big acceleration, of course, is the rapid change of computing and information processing. And that's driving so much of the change. You know, 1964, Moore's Law. So we're in this compounded rate of accelerated information, which is compressing everything and accelerating, and then you add complexity to it. So now there's more interrelationship, and when you... Try to affect one piece in an organization as a ripple effect of unintended consequences. Change used to be a, a process, a change management process, but it's really a central nervous system. There's this, organizations have this very complex, interconnected fear, stress, anxiety central nervous system, and now it's raised to a point where the people who have to manage that just don't know how to cope with this because they don't know what's going to bite them. <laughs> they do their best, they prepare people, they do communication plans, they bring experts in, and still it bites them. Right. And they don't know why they get the pushback. <laughs> we need a different name than change management. It's been around a long time. Right. And there's certain baggage about what it means and what it does. How do I get it accepted? How do I get buy-in? And so you have to use different kinds of tactics, like the word pilot project, talked about how that reduces fear that oh, some big. Change oh, we're going to do this
3: project and intentionally experiment and try to, learn something. And I do think what you call something, it's interesting that you bring that up. We don't even call it change management anymore because we don't believe it can be managed. We call it change leadership because that's really important. We call it change alignment Mm because we do workplace strategy and design. You can align it with something. It's a great place to instigate organizational transformation because you're creating the place in which it happens. But I I think you're right, I think we have to find a new lexicon that we can share. We talked about today each of us having our own jargon. (laughs) The engineers, the architects, the owner depending on their business. And it enables us to be very precise in what we do and very responsible contractually to make sure everything stands up, doesn't fall down, everything works. The problem is, is it it does separate us from each other because we're not using the same language.
1: We know every good team develops their own internal in-house language. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. part of it. Nicknames, you know, rules of engagement. And that kind of work on the front end is valuable yeah. because... Otherwise, it's the Tower of Babel. It's yep. the first construction project in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's the first project—the <laughs> first project that went over budget and late. <laughs> yeah, and they
0: didn't get alignment with the goals and strategies of the ultimate supervisor. Well, so. <laughs> the the owner wasn't happy with the project. Exactly. <laughs> For sure, let's put it that That's way. That's great. So, what else do we need to know about the exchange?
2: Is I this- think um, what was an aha moment is never under estimate the power of socialization and getting out of your environment. I mean, yes, we could have had some really great conversations at Hayworth's corporate headquarters or here at BHDP, but we went off-site, and then we took breaks. Yeah. And most of them were around nature breaks, just completely getting your mind in a whole different place, and while you're walking, having a whole different li- dialogue which someone that could have been an accidental adversary on a project, that type of thing. And that socialization component deepened our connection and ability to open up on some very tough topics.
0: Yes. So Lynn that was a great aha. Did did Rex, did you have any aha moments during this process?
1: The aha moments were were just how common and and how Once people saw that everybody was experiencing, feeling the same thing, it was all common, but we don't ever talk about it. So it's this elephant in the room. We were able to provide a way for us to all express what we were all feeling, but we didn't want to be the first person to say so. (laughs) And then it was how we rub each other unintentionally or intentionally wrong and have some people just rip their hair out a few times and have some people say what are we doing what are we going to produce so we had to go through kind of that finding our way as a group but being committed to each other and that's where the social capital was of not bailing until we discover it on our own so these efficient solutions that we tend to drive towards are not necessarily the best solutions, and sometimes wandering and experimenting and feeling our way, but it takes social capital to get people willing to be patient with, I'm frustrated, but you seem to be okay, so I'm going to be okay right now.
3: Mm -hmm. Did did you have any other ha-has you wanted to share, Patrick? I found myself, surprisingly, someone who was protecting my role in the process, making sure that we provided all the value we could to our client uh, because of the necessity of that to provide services and to have clients and to have a business. During the course of this work, I found the opportunity to actually expand my role by using that understanding beyond just being an architect, but understanding strategy and understanding change and understanding that we may in fact be providing that service, but we certainly can expand our role by trying to understand the other players and what they're doing in the process. And in the meantime, that all this soft stuff, I mean, we use hard and soft data to do strategic design. We're great at assembling it and interpreting it and determining what it means and doesn't mean. But that all this soft stuff could change a lot of really hard stuff, like how long it takes to build something, how much it costs, to build something. And whether or not in the end you're cramming people into some edifice that you did because you were separated from others, including your client, you actually created something where when you bring the people there, they know how to use it. Yeah. And they realize it was done for them, that somebody actually cared about what they were doing every day. And I think we could do that together much better than apart. Wonderful. This has been fascinating. I hope you guys had yeah. fun. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks Rex, Len, this company, Patrick, yeah. thanks for
0: joining us. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Brian. And have a wonderful day. Thank, thank you. I would like to thank our guests, Rex Miller of Mindshift, Lynn Metz of Hayworth, and Patrick Donnelly of BHDP for joining us and sharing their stories and expertise. And thanks to you, the listener. If you like what you've heard, we encourage you to like, subscribe, and give us a review. We hope you join us next time for Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP. And may you have a constructive day.